Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Visual, interactive, meaningful, productive. Four values underpinning AssetMap, a financial planning platform loved by advisors and their clients. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to yet another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I'm super excited to have Derek Notman with me. If you are ever on LinkedIn, if you're a financial advisor, I'm sure you would have seen Derek's comments pop up somewhere. He's a man that speaks his heart and he's been in the industry for you know more than a decade, 15 years, running Intrepid Wealth Partners, training advisors for the next stage, you know, becoming a virtual advisor. Derek, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, it's a pleasure, Lewis. Thank you. And how's it to all my friends in South Africa? <laughs> Before this call, you mentioned that you just got off the call with your team in Cape Town. Like, tell us what that connection is because you're not based in Cape Town. You're based in Minnesota, right? Well, no. So I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, I'm from Ireland. Uh, my mom is from Cape Town. Okay. So very global. Um Right now, home is Madison, Wisconsin, but I'm in Southern California, <laughs> so we're all over the place. So yeah, I, I do have a team in South Africa, uh, multiple people doing multiple things for both uh, both businesses, actually, for all of my digital marketing, social media strategy uh, on Intrepid Wealth Partners as an advisor. My team down there helps with all of that, uh, and then also on uh, my fintech company, Connector, um, they helped me with a ton of stuff there from marketing to strategy to, you know, development, all of that. So, yeah, I, the majority of the people on my team are actually in Cape Town. How did you go about doing that? Was it just, you know, these are the right people and they just happened to be in Cape Town? Or was it, I'm strategically going to look at another time zone and another currency? Yeah, it, so this, this stems, and this will be part of my story, so I think this actually works well, uh, as an advisor... I made the transition to virtual, to hybrid, to working in the 21st century back in 2013. And part of that transition was questioning my whole staffing model. Because up until that point, I had always had in-house staff physically located in my brick-and-mortar office. And apologies if you hear my dog in the background there. <laughs> um, so... What, what happened is I really – I questioned that model and I wanted to be able to do things better and more efficiently. I'm like, well, why can't I have a virtual team? So I did and, and I 
for for client facing client interaction type of stuff, I I have a virtual team here based in the U.S. just because of time zone and and language and all of that type of stuff. But for anything that's not directly communicating with a client, I was like, well, why don't I have a team outside? And you know, you you hear of outsourcing to like India or the Philippines, you know, a variety of other places for virtual staff. And I'm like, well, you know what? I love South Africa. And I truly do. South Africa is one of my – it's just so near and dear to my heart. And so I literally Googled virtual assistance South Africa. And then I went through an interview process with a couple firms and ended up uh, using two different firms. One of them ended up being a total mess. And then the other one is the one I'm still with today. And it's been like, oh, man, four or five years. I've been using the same team now, and I absolutely love them. That's brilliant. And it's so nice to hear, you know, that we can compete in Cape Town on a global level through the skills that we bring to the table, not yet in giving advice. You know, hopefully we can one day get to that point where your team of advisors maybe sit in different jurisdictions as well. 100%. Yeah, there's there's Michael Kitsis, who I'm sure you you know or you've heard of. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, has a great, great quote out there, and I'm going to butcher it. But he basically says that in the future – Clients will find the best advisor, you know, not in their local area, but the best advisor for them regardless of location. And the same can be held true for when you're trying to build a team to to build your business, to do whatever, to do all the things that you need to do. And I ended up with some amazing people that I work with now that have become friends. And I, I just, as I said, we just, I just met with them and they said, like, Derek, Derek, we feel like this isn't your company. This is our company. This is how much we love doing all of this with you. So location doesn't matter. It's finding the right people this is what matters. That's brilliant. And I think we'll circle back to the people in your business. Give us a little bit of a backstory. You know, did you, did you start off your career in finance or in financial planning? No. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in archaeology and anthropology. I really loved the Indiana Jones movies and thought it would be fun to be Indiana Jones. Turns out that's not real life. So unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, so right actually before I even graduated with those degrees, the real world was fast approaching. I'm like, okay, I need a job. Um, so I ended up becoming a counselor working with at-risk youth at a residential treatment center. I was I was working with teenage boys who lived at this facility that came from very bad backgrounds, murderers, drug dealers, rapists, you name it, um, and working with them to try to help rehabilitate them. I did that for a number of years, and then eventually that led me into financial services, oddly enough, because I've always had this fascination with money as well. And I learned by working with these kids that I really loved helping people. And my wife and I moved across the country uh, right after we had been married. And I'm like, okay, now's the opportunity to combine these two passions into one one career. I love that you started out in the counseling side, you know, and so much of what we do is using those counseling skills. And looking back at that now, like what are the things that stand out for you that you're still using in your client interactions today that you learn from dealing with this group of at-risk youth? Well, I, I think uh, listening, my listening skills, like we had to listen and sometimes we had to help people, I had to help the kids, and I do this with my clients, because we have to help them articulate what they don't know how to say. They're feeling something, but they don't know how to put it into words necessarily because they've never really been asked this before. 
if they've never really worked with a proper advisor. And so helping them come to this realization of what's truly important to them, what they're trying to fix, what's keeping them up at night. So I, I learned a lot of that working with these kids and I've used those same skills. So, I mean, just slowing down a little bit. It's it's not about me. It's about them. If I do the right thing, if I listen, if I help guide them, then they're going to want to do business with me, which means I will get paid at some point. Yeah, and these are not easy things to get trained in. Yet, you know, not a lot of financial planners start off in the sales side and they don't necessarily learn these skills unless like, you know, 10, 15 years into the industry if they get that far. But you approach it the other way, saying, oh, actually, I've built up all these skills, and that's transferable to this new industry I'm moving into. It is. And it, what's funny is that I didn't come into financial services with that mindset. Like, I mean, I guess I did, but I, and I didn't, but I was young. I was 25. And I, I didn't know. What I did know is that for the, the previous three and a half years as a counselor, listening and problem solving were pounded into me. I was working 60, 70 hours a week and it just became part of my DNA. So when I came over to financial services, there was a learning curve like learning about financial products and sales and all of this stuff. But I came at it from this with this background of trying to connect with people and understand people and solve problems. And it just naturally happened. I got lucky, right? I, I literally got lucky because it was not intentional how this all kind of came together. I, I became a counselor because I needed a job. And I wish there was a more altruistic reason for that. Um, but that was what it was. And I, I ended up loving it. And I learned a lot about myself and about helping people. But it, it definitely has propelled me in the work I do in financial services with my clients to be able to connect with others on that human level and truly listen and help. Absolutely. So here we have Indiana Jones that have built these counseling skills, getting into financial planning. How were those early years? Like what year are we talking about now and kind of what was things like then? Yeah. So I came in to financial services in 2006, March uh, is when I actually officially like entered the industry at that time and arguably still today, unfortunately, we'll get to this. But at that time, there's this allure of being a financial advisor uh, of, that you can make a ton of money and you can and that you can have a lot of freedom. And this is true. You can. Um, so when you're being recruited and you're kind of getting into it, you know, you're in this honeymoon stage where all of this is really exciting. And then you actually get in and you're working 60 hours a week. You're working nights and weekends you're cold calling, you're dealing with rejection, you're going to networking events, you're having to put yourself out there a lot more than you were ever used to doing. And there is no guaranteed paycheck. You know, there were there there was a there was a one point early on in my career where things were so tough that I literally went home after a really long week. I was stressed, I was tired, and I started looking through my baseball card collection to see what I could sell so I could pay to keep the heat on in my house in the winter. Right. It was that tough. Um, and these are the things you don't hear about when you're being recruited into the industry. And there's a reason over 95 percent of people fail in the first three years or so or you know, wash out. It's a really tough gig. Part of that, I think, is because of how we're taught. You know, it's, it's a sales first mentality. And I'm not saying sales is bad, but we can't forget the human element here either. That's extremely important. 
So things were antiquated. They still are, arguably. Um, digital marketing is only just starting to kind of get some real traction in our industry, unfortunately, even though it's been around forever. I mean, you know, who knows? This whole, you know, online internet thing might actually work, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't, we'll see. I mean, maybe the jury's still out on that, but um, uh, it's we're evolving. We're just not evolving as fast as we probably should be. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, South Africa's in a very similar boat to the U.S. I think in some instances we might be a little bit ahead in terms of the marketing component and embracing online advice. But the sales first approach is still the norm for most advisors starting out in this industry. You know, you have to build up a wealth of knowledge. You have to find potential clients. You have to, you know, feed your family. And it, like you said, it's a really tough gig. Um, and that's why we have this massive drop off. Yeah, no question about it. But but we can be successful. And there are better ways to do things. I think the advisor needs to know that like they're not on an island. They're, 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 we are a team, and let's face it, whether it's South Africa, Australia, the States, Canada, UK, it doesn't matter. There's more than enough business, more than enough clients for us all to be successful. So don't get in a situation where you're kind of hoarding clients and everyone else is your competition. Reach out and talk to other advisors and help each other because you're always going to be able to learn something and get better. Um, you know, the office that I started in, it, it did really feel like that. There was this competitive – I mean, com competition's not bad. I don't have anything wrong with the competitive nature. But when it gets to the point of like cutthroat stuff because there's not enough business for everybody, I mean, that's just nonsense. And it, it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. That kind of abundance mindset saying – 100%. If you approach this that there's more than enough clients, you know, you figure out a way to serve them. I can hear that, you know, you were really frustrated with the, with the way – advice was being delivered like what was the one of the early things that you tried to do you know in 2006 starting out with your clients that you said hey i'm not going to do it this way i'm gonna i'm gonna go this route yeah i mean i had a lot of success early on and i think part of it's because of my problem solving listening skills we talked about from my counseling days i was not a cfp professional until man i don't know six seven years in something like that you know, I, I didn't get it right away, but I always had the mindset of a CFP. And like my friend, and you, you know, um, this guy, uh, Adam Holt, a brilliant guy, he has a nice term that he's coined, leading with advice. And that's how I always, I always had that mindset. And I knew that there was a, you know, there was a good chance I would sell something to implement uh, a plan, right? To implement a solution. And I, there's, I'm not saying the products are bad or sales are bad, but leading with advice to come up with those solutions, I think, is a better methodology, a better process. And that's what I did, even though I wasn't a CFP, I, I acted like one. And I think that's what really helped. And very early on, I had a lot of success of that because at the end of the day, people want to buy. They don't want to be sold to. So help them buy. Help them by leading with advice. That makes so much sense. And, you know, what we see is that at some point, people just assume that you have all the knowledge and you have all the accreditations. So it it is still very valuable to go down that route, you know, but it's not the be all and end all. I think we can often use the designation as, a, oh, I only need that and then I can, you know, be successful. And then uh, it's it's a nice excuse. It is. Yeah. No, start right now. Just start with that mentality, that attitude. Don't misrepresent yourself in any way. 
there's a massive trust and transparency issue in our industry. But the mindset, and if you're genuinely trying to help people and lead with advice, and you are very open about that, people will respond, people will appreciate that, and good things will happen. Derek, it reminds me a little bit of the kind of a coaching approach saying, hey, let, let's work together to figure out this problem, whatever that might be. You know, maybe you need a product, but we need to come up with some element of a plan and some element, you know, leading with advice. Like you said that Adam, Adam coined that term. Uh, I always chuckle when he says he's a recovering certified financial planner. So, you know, there's two, <laughs> two arms to the same thing. That's so true. It's funny. Yeah, yeah he, he's a great dude. I was actually just speaking with him a little while ago. Um, so you've but, been, but we you've been do giving both advice. share that mindset. Yeah, yeah. You've been giving advice, kind of you're dealing with these clients, leading with advice. Do you then at some point break away? Um, or, or how did you come about setting up Intrepid Wealth Partners? Well, I, I wanted to create something that was bigger than just myself. I wanted to, and, and creating a brand um, is extremely difficult and takes a very long time, but I didn't want it to be just about me. So I, I didn't want it to call it like, you know, Derek Notman financial, right. You know, cause now it's all about me. And like, I was never the guy, you know, well, maybe really early on I was until I figured out it was not the right idea, but I was never the guy or didn't want to be the guy that had all of my awards and designations and everything on the wall in my office. So if a client came in, they just see like, oh, wow, Derek must be important. I, I, I was just never that guy. And I don't think clients want that. It was always about having pictures of my family and, and things I love to do, passions and all of that kind of stuff. And that that's what I think really resonates with clients the most. Intrepid is, is a reflection of of me, but it's a reflection of the type of people I want to work with. It's a reflection of the, of the type of mentality that we have and our ideals. Um, and it, it's to really attract a certain type of, of client. Um, you know, you, you know, attract your tribe with your vibe, so to speak. And that, that's how it really had to be set up like that. And so I wanted to do something like that, something that people could could really connect with. And if something happened to Derek, like there's a, still this brand where I can have other people eventually come in and help continue that on, hopefully. That would be the the plan. And about the same time, I also was like, okay, I got to kick this whole brick and mortar thing. Um, it's, it's, it's taking its pound of flesh here. There's got to be a better way to run a practice because what the things that I learned in 2006 when I started were the same things that were taught to – new advisors back in 1985. And those advisors were taught the same things that were taught in 1955, right? It's virtually unchanged. And I was just like, I'm not one to really just go along with the status quo. I like to challenge things. And sometimes that gets a little difficult, but that's just the way I roll. And um, I, that's why about the same time, this is 2013-ish, I was like, okay, there's got to be a better way to market. There's got to be a better way to conduct meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what took me down the path to where I am today. I hope that at least at some point they updated the life expectancy tables, you know, within the course <laughs> curriculum. But other than that, the way advice is delivered, yet the world continues to move forward and the way we consume information and the way we interact changed so you know this is 15 years ago if i if i've got it right that you then set up intrepid wealth partners and you're saying that was a virtual first firm when you started out no no it wasn't it was ah. fully brick and mortar when i started i literally bought an office building had multiple in-house staff 
um, wore a suit and tie. It had the conference table, the big desk, the metal filing cabinets, the big copier, you name it, man. I had it all. And after getting it, I'm like, man, this sucks. This is expensive. I'm tied to this location now. And for someone like myself who loves to travel, that just was like crushing my travel soul a little bit. So after going through that for a number of years and having my son, you know, becoming a dad, I think you're a, you're a new dad here, aren't you, Lewis? Yeah. 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 You're, 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 you're experiencing this now. Your priorities shift. And I didn't want to work. I mean, I never really wanted to work 60 hours, 70 hours a week, but I really didn't want to now that I had a, a, another, you know, person to take care of and be a part of their life. Um, so this, so I, I had started, I did everything that they taught from 1985. I was all in 100% and I was doing well. I was making good money, but it was, I was, I was getting unhealthy physically. Um, I was stressed. Uh, there's just this massive burden. I was tied to a physical location and it just, all these things are like, man, I got to do something different here. This is just wearing on me. I still want to run a great practice, but I don't want to be doing it like the guy from 1955 has been doing it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, you know, you become a successful financial advisor and then you become a business owner, which requires very different skill sets. And it's a very different hat that you have to put on. So now you have your business owner hat on and saying, Actually, this way everyone else is doing it, you know, this is not working for me because my values are not the same and, you know, I want to do things a little bit differently. So, like, where did you start to make that change? Did you just get up and sell your your office and say, okay, now we're forced to do this? Or was it kind of more incremental? No, it, it actually was a perfect storm of events. So, I was tired and unhappy. I had a, a new young born son at home. And then I had been presented with an opportunity to collaborate with another advisor on a national uh, opportunity. And part of that ended up with me needing to relocate from Vermont to Madison, Wisconsin. Within a month, there wasn't even a month of me arriving, this other advisor said, I'm moving to New Jersey. So the whole thing blew up in my face. I had just relocated my family. So then my wife and I had to have a heart to heart, like, do we stay? And make a go of it, or do we go back? And it had already been so stressful. We were closer to family now with our young one, and so we're like, you know what? Let's make a go. And so that was that was the initial like perfect storm that happened. And because of that, I had to figure out better ways to run my business. So this is where all the kinks, you know, the cracks in in the original brick and mortar model really started to present themselves because I wasn't physically in an office anymore. I was, you know, 1,200 miles away. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, how do I do this? So it, it was a transition. This was, you know, a transition that took some time. Initially, I was on an airplane every three, four weeks uh, to go meet physically with people. That got old really quickly. So it was just like, how do I do these virtual meeting things? What is that, right? Do I have to have a physical staff in another, another part of the country? Do I need that? Do I even need the space? How do I market to my clients? How do I service them? What do I do with incoming mail? All of these things that I had taken for granted as a brick and mortar advisor, I now had to question. And I'm glad I did. I mean, I went through hell at that point. It was a really tough part of my career and life just because of the way that this other advisor threw us into this mess. But a lot of amazing good things came out of it. And 
my practice is so much better now because of it. And it's probably stuff I would never have done completely if I didn't go through that fire initially. Uh, but man, am I glad I did because it is where the future is headed. You know, you mentioned about how the consumer consumes things these days. We're not looking and while we're here in the States, we have what's called the yellow pages. It's like a physical phone book. That's what we used to use, yeah, we right? That. Okay. Yeah. You guys get it. So like, we don't do that anymore. We pick up our phone. We go to our computer. We're, we're, we're looking at for things differently. Um, so I, as advisors, we better figure out how to be there. Otherwise, we're going to become obsolete. Yeah, still being relevant. I completely agree with you. So a lot of firms last year were forced into adapting these things that you were grappling with 10 years ago already saying, hey, like, how do we fix this? How do we do this? I'm wondering what your clients said at that point. Now, did they embrace it or was there a bit of a pushback? I was deathly afraid that all my clients would leave me by making this transition. What ended up happening is, was I was afraid for no reason. I lost one client. That's it. Everyone else stayed. It's been fine. It's been great. Been no issues. I've brought on new clients and new business. Um, so it was really between my own ears because a lot of the people in our industry have even even when I started to do it, like, oh, Derek, that'll never work. You can't do that. Nope. Nope. Sorry. You're not going to be successful. Nope. That's not right. I proved them wrong. And it's just because I had to change my mindset. We have to realize here, folks, you know, for advisors listening to this podcast, please take a second and realize the next thing that I'm going to say here. We consume things differently. Google processes three and a half billion searches a day. We are online as a global society. The way we do things, we do we buy our groceries online, we do our, our we can talk to our doctor online, we date online, we bank online, we have social networks of quote unquote friends online. Everything we do is online. And it's been that way for 20 years. Amazon started over 20 years ago, right? This isn't something that happened just during COVID. COVID, I think what it what really did is it accelerated a mega trend that had already been underway for some time and really, again, highlighted the cracks in an industry that's as old as dirt, financial services, all right? And that's good. That's, what, that's how evolution, that's how growth happens. But there are growing pains when that happens as well. And as I've said before, Look at the dinosaurs, right? Never in the history of history has not evolving worked out. The dinosaurs are not around for a reason. They didn't evolve. Yeah, we had that big old meteor hit the hit the earth, right? That didn't help. But COVID was kind of that same thing, right? And now we have a choice. Are we going to evolve and adapt or are we just going to just hold on to whatever we can and fall away? It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a big difference is that the dinosaurs didn't have a choice. We do. Absolutely, Derek. And I think that's such a great segue into Connector and what you're doing with Connector, actually teaching advisors these skills. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, as I mentioned before, my motivation and inspiration for going virtual and updating my practice for the 21st century was so I could have more of my life back to be present for my family, do all the things that are super important to me. And what ended up happening is I found a lot of success doing it. I got a lot of arrows in my back because there was no roadmap as well. It took me it took me years to figure out how to do all of this. But what ended up happening is a lot of advisors started to see my success, but they also started to see like, what, what, what do you mean you're in South Africa right now, Derek, working? Like I, I, I did a life insurance application from the beach in, in Blauberg, okay? You know, 
they're like, Derek, what do you mean you're in, in Dublin, Ireland working remotely? What do you mean you're in, on the bullet train in Japan working remotely? Like, how are you doing this? Now, I, my example is a bit extreme. I tend to travel a lot more and I'm more virtual. Honestly, I think the sweet spot moving forward is probably going to be more of a hybrid model where we have a lot of robust digital virtual capabilities, but maybe we want to maintain some small brick and mortar space. And that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's where we'll end up actually. But Connector really came to be because other advisors were looking for a solution to update their practice for the 21st century where none existed. There are a lot of programs out there, coaching programs, very siloed programs, maybe for LinkedIn marketing or whatever. The majority of them are still teaching some rather outdated methods, ones that worked brilliantly but in the past. Um, so I really wanted to create something of immense value by an advisor for other advisors to help them at the end of the day, it's to help them live their best life. Because if the advisor can live a better life and run a more efficient practice, bring in more clients, make more money, but not do it at the expense of missing time with their family and all of these things. Well, if the advisor is happier, emotionally, health-wise, financially, then they're going to be that much better for their clients. So if we improve the advisor experience, we improve the client experience. And that's what Connector is all about, empowering the financial advisor of today to thrive today, to have an amazing experience. And we show them step-by-step step exactly how to do everything that they need to do to be super successful. So it's that old adage of putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before you, know, you can help other people. 100%. You know, I've got over a million miles on Delta Airlines alone. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that that statement, but it is 100% true. If you can't help yourself, how are you going to help the people that you want to help? You can't. It's that simple. Yeah, that, I think that expands so wide. You know, like you mentioned, you have to be physically healthy, emotionally healthy, financially healthy. You're not serving anyone by undercharging or by delivering a subpar service. As I say, people want to work with people that are successful, that have real motivation and inspiration to live an amazing life. They don't want to work with someone who's just pitching a product. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. And like you mentioned earlier in, in our discussion that it's not the expert. It's not the guy with all the awards. It's someone that's you know successful and that's living something true to their values. You know, and like you mentioned travel is important to you and spending time with your family and, and you're living that out, which which is actually awesome. But you don't need the permission for someone to say, hey, go out and do this. You just need to take that step and take permission, I guess. Hey, That's it. And we're for any advisors listening right now, you have permission to go take care of yourself. There's no reason you shouldn't be building the most amazing business you could ever build while having an amazing life, being with your family, pursuing your passions. That's what you should be doing, and that's going to lead to an amazing client experience. And there you have it. Derek just gave everyone permission. Thank you for that, Derek. Um, Derek, yeah. if you had to set up a new practice today, right, clean slate, what would you do differently? Well, I'd first go to Connector. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to plug that in there. <laughs> but it's true. There, there's, there's a lot that needs to happen, and I think you actually touched upon this earlier if we call ourselves just a financial advisor, then it's really more about the strategies that we help people with, uncovering problems, finding solutions, and sales. Sales is a component here that we cannot ignore. 
and those are all important, but we also are business owners at the end of the day. And we have to have that mindset as well. And as a business owner, how can I set up my business to succeed and be profitable? What should I do? What are the most cutting edge ideas, strategies, tactics, infrastructure that I can incorporate into my practice today to thrive? Not what was done 30 years ago, right? What's being done today? So as an advisor, I would question all of those things. And if I come into an, in, to an institution that's hiring me, whether I'm independent or I'm semi-independent or whatever, and they're telling me to get a whole bunch of metal filing cabinets and go door knocking, I would take pause at that and say, maybe there's a better way because as a consumer, I don't want someone to go knock on my door, especially during a pandemic, right? You know, <laughs> it's just not what I'm, I'm not looking for someone to cold call me at seven o'clock at night. Right. So you have to question those things. And then if you agree with those concepts and new strategies and better ideas, you still have to take action. You need to take steps to implement all of these things and know that it's going to take time. Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes time to put this infrastructure in place to learn these things. I also think that on a professional level, that financial planning mindset is extremely important. There's a reason the CFP designation is gaining so much popularity and traction. People are looking for that. Adam and I have had a really good conversation about this just recently about the delivery of advice and people paying for advice versus paying for products. And products actually might become somewhat more commoditized than they already are. And there almost might be like what we would call an, an Amazon marketplace of products. So if we can go there, the value of our advice now becomes extremely important. But if we aren't advisors with you know these professional credentials, then we're not going to be able to charge for that advice. So I think that's also something very, very important. Absolutely. And I want to add on to that, you know, thinking about the value that you're adding and not saying, you know, how do I dilute this? But how do I charge a premium and still have clients say, oh, I'm comfortable paying this premium because this, what I'm getting is an awesome experience. It's, you know, a ton of value for me and I'm happy to pay and I know what I'm paying. And that's not, that's not there yet, but we're moving to it very quickly. We, we are. We have to become subject matter experts. That's what we pay for. You know, there's a reason that Doctors specialize in a certain area, you know, heart surgeons or whatever, brain surgeons. Actually, I think the first heart transplant was done in Cape Town, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, there's a reason that they make so much money because they are subject matter experts and people are willing to pay for that. Uh, same thing goes with what we do. The work we do as advisors is extremely important. I consider us a fabric, a part of the fabric of people's lives. You know, we help them with their money, which means so much more. But we better be darn good at what we do. We better be experts. We better be able to actually provide that value that they're looking for and not just a product. Because as soon as we're just a product person, we've just commoditized ourselves as an individual and we're, there's nothing special about us anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I see, you know, how your personal branding and how your business branding actually is promoting that, you know, saying the subject matter expert and there's a ton of value here for you to get. Often what we hear is that kind of a bit of pushback saying, well, if I focus only on this, uh, and I think in America they call it a niche, where in South Africa it's a, a niche, kind of a smaller group, um, 
and I'm excluding all these other potential clients that I could be working with. How do you how do you talk someone through that mindset? We actually spent a lot of time in Connector talking about this because it is extremely important. I started off working with anybody that would fog a mirror. I didn't even know how to spell the word niche, okay? I didn't know what that was. And what ends up happening is you become a slave to your business because of that. You are now working with anybody that will do anything with you. And then you wake up years later with this massive, crazy book of business that is all ends of the spectrum. It's very hard to manage. It's also difficult from a marketing perspective to attract new people because now if you don't work with, you know, if like one of my one of my friends and colleagues, Dave Bruno, uh, great dude, he uh, he joked, he's like, yeah, it, most advisors just say that they work with guys with jobs, right? <laughs> like, what is that, right? Like, I mean, it. it it's so true, and I'm not faulting the advisors so much. Although there is some there is some onus on them to to make this this leap here. But when we work with anybody, we work with nobody because people are looking for specialists. They're not looking for a generalist. Okay, so but you don't want to get so hyper niche that um, you don't have a business. So there's there's a sweet spot here as well. So I think it's really important to to identify a type of clientele that you think you can serve best, an ideal client niche, but then go vet that market before you build a business around it. You know, if, if there's only four people that fit your ideal client profile in South Africa, you don't have a business. So don't do that, right? That's too niche. Um, you know, you need what we have, what we call in Connector, we call critical mass. You have to have enough people that you can market to and convert a small percentage of them over to clients to have a successful thriving practice. Uh, I do believe in general, though, that having a niche is extremely important. It's what the consumer's looking for. They want an expert to do the different things that they need. I mean, look at all the massive brands in the world. They're all niche specialists. They all have a specialty in what they do, and people go to them for that reason. So if if you are this this advisor who does everything for everybody, people are going to be looking at you like, well, what does this person do? Do they help people like me? That's the internal dialogue that a potential client might have. And if they have that before they ever even reach out to you, they're never going to be a customer. But if you tell them, hey, this is who I am. This is who I help. This is what I do for them. Now, all of a sudden, like, oh, cool. Well, so-and-so works with people like me. They help me do this type of stuff. I like this. This feels right. Okay, uh, you know, now I'm a potential client. Yeah, and the world just opened up to you. You know, no longer have to, do you have to work with a client that lives down the street. This client can sit anywhere in the world, and we've seen that in our business as well. When people immigrate, you know, they can remain clients. Yes, the service might be different and might be more of a kind of holistic planning and, and less product. And that's actually forced us to revisit this and say, if we're going to have a bunch of clients leaving South Africa, you know, how do you still add value to, to their lives? Exactly. And I, well, I, you know, even in San Diego here, I think it's one of the largest populations of South Africans outside of South Africa. Um, and I suspect that there are a lot of them that have advisors back in South Africa still, right? Just because they yeah. can, if those advisors did the thing that they were supposed to do and, you know, make sure that they're there to help them. Because the best, well, this goes back to my, my point on uh, my virtual team, right? They're based in Cape Town. 
the best people to help me do what I needed to do ended up being in a different continent on the other side of the world, right? Um, so your best client or is you being an advisor for a client, you may not be located down the street from each other. Maybe you're in Joburg and Cape Town, you know, who knows, Durban and the Free State, whatever, you know, it could be anywhere or even outside of the country. So I think that's extremely important. But if you don't have the infrastructure, the marketing, the niche identified, all of that stuff, then it won't happen. Yeah, yeah. So just to go back to what you said, you know, starting off with a clean slate, you'd spend more time on the strategy and saying, you know, like, how are we supposed to run a business today? And then say, oh, actually, this just happens to be financial planning plugged into that. It's like Tony Shea from Zappos that 100%. says, this is a service business. Hey, we just, we just happen to sell shoes. A hundred percent, right? That's it. Any advisor can learn how to sell a product, how a product works, you know, how to do a cash flow analysis, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the product or part of the product process. Be the business first. Know who you are, what you're trying to do, how you're going to do it. Get all the infrastructure in place and then, then you can deploy or deliver your solutions via that mechanism. So, Derek, looking forward... 10 or 15 years from now, what do you think the relationship a client or what would the relationship look like that a client would have with a financial planner 15 years from now? Well, I'll preface this by saying my crystal ball has never worked. Okay. (laughs) I think the value of advice is going to become more and more important. I think products will become even more commoditized. I think there's going to be more fee compression. Products are always going to have their place. They're extremely important when it comes to implementation, no question about it. But the way that we arrive at those products is going to be more and more and more advice-driven. I also don't think that the human advisor is going away. Uh, People want customized expert human advice, but the way that advice is delivered is changing. The medium is not going to be just a kitchen table or conference table anymore. It's going to be what we're doing here right now. Um, that's where I think things are going to go. And I think that the advisors, quote unquote advisors that are just focused on product, I think they're probably going to become like dinosaurs and eventually just be gone where we're going to move to more of a, this digital marketplace of products that are a byproduct of amazing planning from subject matter experts. That's where I see it going. Who knows if I'm right? That's just the way I'm feeling about it where it looks like, you know, happening today. Yeah, we definitely won't hold you to this 15 15 years from now. So I'm wondering, (laughs) what are you spending your time on in terms of crafting your skills and like what are the resources that's top of the list for Derek that, you know, you won't miss out on? Be nimble, embrace technology. So digital marketing is, 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 I think, in our industry at least, coming into its own finally. As advisors slash business owners, we have to own our digital assets, own those digital assets. Even if you're just starting out, you know, maybe you're still in university and you're pursuing your CFP and you're not even there yet. Get out on social media, get a website, start growing an audience that you can curate and nurture to use down the road. This is the long game. So we have to have these digital assets in place, no question about it. So focus on that, focus on subject matter expertise, getting your qualifications, but also running a really awesome practice. Question everything. Do do you need to have a massive brick and mortar office that's costing you a ton of money every month? I thought I did. Turns out I didn't. And I'm really happy I got rid of it. You know, so uh, I think those are the things that I would think about 
you know, coming in at this stage, or even maybe you've been around for 20, 30 years. You know what? If you want to sell your practice at some point, a younger advisor isn't going to want to buy your filing cabinets, right? They're not going to want to, to, to do the things that you did. So maybe it's time to do some upskilling. Is it going to hurt? Are there going to be growing pains? Yes, there will be. But that also means growth happens and that's good stuff. Derek, I've got a funny story on that. We went through the process of selling our filing cabinets at the office and we almost had to pay someone to come and collect it. <laughs> I love it. Because <laughs> no one wants it. No one wants it. It's just, it's, it's the way of the past. And I have nothing bad to say of the past. We wouldn't be where we are today yeah. without it, right? You know, we're, we're all a product of all of the other amazing people that have been come before us and things we've learned from. But we, should, we need to take that as our foundation and build upon it, right? We don't want to, you know, we don't want to regress to what was done in the past. We want to learn from it and, and progress instead. Yeah, I love this kind of innovative view saying, you know, look at things and say, does this still serve me today? And does this serve my clients? And does this serve me where the business needs to go? Can we touch a little bit on the digital assets? You know, for some people, they might think cryptos and are you talking around kind of marketing assets that you would use to promote your brand and, and the service that you deliver? Correct. Yeah. So not cryptos. That's a whole nother conversation. Your social media accounts, web pages, digital assets that you own. I own over a hundred URLs. Okay. Ebooks, webinars, YouTube channel, blog, email nurturing, any place that we can publish a digital asset, some content where an audience can consume that information. We need to own those assets. And when I say own, I mean like physically own them as much as you can, but also be active there and actually push out content on those platforms because that's what people are looking for. You know, these, the oldest trick in the book when it comes to, to marketing in general, digital or not, is go where people already are and then be present. Well, people are online. So just go there. That's that's where it's got to be. But also be careful. Um, for example, an interesting story just yesterday. Uh, I am extremely active on LinkedIn. I've got a strong following there. And at the end of the day, I don't own that asset. LinkedIn does. LinkedIn lets me go there and do my thing, but I don't own it. And I did a post yesterday I was just like, hey, LinkedIn, what's up with your algorithm? Because the algorithm has changed recently. Uh, at least it appears it has because engagement has changed. Views have changed. How many followers you're gaining has changed. Funny enough, they actually commented on it. and They're going to reach out to me directly to talk about it, which is interesting. So stay tuned on that. Um, but the fact remains is I don't own my assets on there. So what am I doing with the places that I pseudo owner i'm just parking there you know i'm, I'm paying a parking meter to, to be there for a while well I, I need to drive that traffic somewhere drive it to assets that you own i think that's when i so when i say digital assets that's what i mean and, and just it's a lot of work it's going to take time but own those things right because you never know what's going to happen and where you're going to need some of these these assets to be when when you're as you're building your business so derek that then becomes your repeatable scalable marketing engine to drive clients to your to your practice is that right correct oh yeah 100 percent referrals would be the other one other than that it's all digital assets followers uh nurturing the audiences educating them 
attracting my tribe to contact me when they're comfortable to do something. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something we don't often see in South Africa. Something that you can, you know, push the lever forward and say, okay, now we need to bring in more clients. Let's ramp up our marketing efforts and bring in clients. It's kind of a sit back and, oh, we wait for some family member or client to refer a new client to us. Yeah, that's reactive. And it's Mm. been done that way forever. But why not be proactive about it and know uh, what's possible and, 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 and predictable? Like I know how much it costs me to drive a lead on a Facebook marketing campaign depending on who I'm, I'm marketing to, right? Um, I will say uh, about any type of paid ad campaign as a quick sidebar, don't waste money on fancy, luxurious, glamorous paid ad campaigns from any gurus until you have all of your digital foundation in first. It's like going from an idea of your dream house in your head all the way to buying the high-end fixtures for the master bathroom, but you forgot to hire an architect. You forgot to get a blueprint. Don't do it. It'll be a total waste of time and money. You got to do all the other stuff first. But then, yes, it's very, very helpful. And building those digital assets, is that something you'd recommend people do on their own or do they hire a professional or what's the best? It depends. So financial advisors, I'm sure it's the same in South Africa. We're nickeled and dimed every single way to Sunday with all the, the money that things we have to pay for. So anything we can do for free, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of. So any assets you can create on your own, go spend the time to do that on your own. You only have, Most of the time, you only have to do it once and then it's done. Now, for example, my website, I was involved in that build and in that design, but I had someone else do it. That's not my thing, right? I just I needed some help to get it done right, and that's what we did. Um, so it's really going to be a combination. And I'll tell you, like if a little secret here, and we talk about this in Connector, if you don't really get clear on who you are as an individual outside of being an advisor, if you don't get really clear on who your ideal client is, you will never be able to fully leverage all of your digital assets. It'll it'll it's like trying to build, you know. A, a, a massive building with no foundation it just doesn't work it just won't work it'll crumble yeah you'll go around in circles and say oh now today i'm serving this group and tomorrow i'm serving serving another group and, and not really gain traction exactly yeah exactly Derek, this has been extremely valuable thank you so much for spending your time with us today if someone wants to reach out to you what's the best best way assuming that linkedin's algorithm will play along <laughs> <laughs> yeah, LinkedIn's great. Uh, hit me up on there. Send me a direct message. You will get me directly. It's not somebody else. Um, email is great. So if you want to put my email address in the show notes, that's fine. I'm just going to, or even my website, that's fine too. We've got a lot of great assets on there. You can go check out a really cool blog. Um, like, well, this podcast we will put on our site so people can see it. Yeah, reach out, ask questions, you know, learn. Um, you know, we're all on the same team here. Thanks for that, Derek, and thanks for sharing so openly and, you know, uh, being the kind of light for the future financial advisor. Uh, there's a lot of people that look up to you, and rightly so. Well, thank you, Lewis. I appreciate it. I, you know, I write back at you. You know, I love what you guys are doing, and, you know, you and I have chatted previously, and it's clear we're of the same mindset and how we're doing things, and uh, I appreciate you being able to get the word out there because I think a lot of advisors are feeling somewhat like they're on an island a little bit and ho- this podcast that you're doing for folks, I think, is a nice lifeline to throw them. Um, so thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's a real honor to be on here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Derek.